Hello and welcome, my friends, to Truth Be Told, a podcast by Digital Rebel where you get your own investigative journalism personalised for like-minded people like us. Coming from the land of the Peaky Blinders. Well, not this one actually. This week I'm in Cornwall on holiday with the family. Uh, Right, a few days ago I came across a radio clip of the Jeremy Vine radio show where a guy had to be super clever, in my opinion, to get on and speak. Now, to get on these shows, you've got to get through their researchers telling them your story and then they decide to let you on the show or not. So, And we all know what agenda... And whose agenda the BBC pushed these days? You only have to look at them, who their main funder is, who their main donator is. And we all know it's the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. That They're the ones that have kept the BBC alive because no one wants to pay the stupid BBC licence, TV licence anymore. So, have a listen to this. I have to ask this, Jeremy. I know a big fan of your show, but 1,500 people have died in the UK from taking that vaccine and the BBC haven't reported a single death. The BBC continued to plug a line that these vaccines are safe and so effective. I thought, hang they... on, in, your, in the note so, from your call when you spoke to our researcher, you say, I was a staunch anti-vaxxer and then I got the worst case of COVID ever in May this year. I regret my stance immensely. That's what I said, to be able to be put through to the BBC. Oh, so, okay, yeah, so that's not your view? That's 100% not my view. No, my opinion and my view and my knowledge is that these vaccines are incredibly dangerous to humanity, not just... Yeah, but I mean, I just, term, it's appreciated to help the show if you didn't lie to our researchers, that's all. I know it'd be appreciated to the health of the public if you didn't lie to the mass to all the people in England. Mm. So you don't accept the, the science advice that says that 60,000 lives have been saved by the vaccine already in this country? I don't accept the advice of scientists that are on the payroll of a corrupt government or an international cartel. Tell us about your own science qualifications. Are you an epidemiologist or a virologist or a biologist? I'm someone that listens incredibly uh, and does a lot of research to a lot of epidemiologists, virologists, biologists and scientists all over the world. And this notion that scientists agree yeah. It's complete cost. And you think, the, you think the scientists, you, you've come on here by lying to the researcher and now you're saying the scientists are lying to us? I'm saying there's thousands of scientists that are speaking the truth right now, just the BBC, are censoring them. People okay. need to do their own research. People need to ask the question, 1,500 people have died from taking the vaccine That's in not, the UK that, alone that, and the BBC have not, not reported a single one of those deaths. Where are you getting that number from? This is from the government yellow card That's reporting not, but system. Not Anyone a, can go and see this, Jeremy. It's on the government own website. 1,500 people have died from this vaccine. Uh, yes, Over hang on, hang on. 1 million people have suffered adverse reactions. You can't, yeah, but adverse reactions, including a pain in the arm. Listen, the 1,500 on the yellow including card. Including heart attack, the yellow, including stroke, including don't, blindness, don't just, including deafness. No, hang on. The yellow card system is a self-reporting thing. We haven't... No one's established the connection between the vaccine and any of those deaths yet. Not a single one. It's simply a reporting thing. If somebody has the vaccine, they're dead the next day, that's reported. That doesn't mean they died from it. Do you understand that? Jeremy, apply the same logic to what you've just said. Do you understand what I just said? 
I understand what you've just said. I understand you need to try and whitewash these figures for the benefit of the public because you're working for a court media organisation, 100%. I understand Well, that. we've given you quite a long time on the phone considering you started on here by telling untruths to our researcher who's got better things to do. And you failed to answer the single question. And you failed to answer the single question. Ask me a question. Why the CDC not reported the 1,500 people that have died from the vaccine? And all that dies from COVID is a front-page story for the BBC. And all that dies from the vaccine is completely I've just, ignored. I've just told you that the yellow card system is a self-reporting thing. It isn't established by science or scientists that there was any connection between any one of those 1,500 and the vaccine. That's why it's not reported as fact, because it isn't fact. It's a 100% fact. It's on the government's own website. Jeremy, you're severely on the wrong side of history. Okay, Tony, thank you very much. I did. Sorry, John, I did my best there. I hate to cut people off. Okay, Tony Davis in Darlington. You, I'm going to assume you told... Now, that was a, an extremely interesting interview on the Jeremy Vine radio show. I believe it's Radio 2. And Jeremy Vine, he actually seemed more bothered about the lie the guy told to get on the show than the 1,500 deaths the vaccine has caused. He also believes the yellow card reporting system is not facts as they are a self-reporting system. A self-reporting system doesn't mean they're not facts. And seeing as no one seems to be investigating these deaths, then there's no proof either way. Of course there's not, because they're not investigating them. So no proof either way can be established, whether they died from the vaccine or not. <sighs> but what I wanted to point out about this whole interview was what the guy says to Jeremy Vine in response to that. And it was, Jeremy, apply the same logic to what you've just said to the COVID pandemic, which I thought was absolutely brilliant. He had no reply to that. Well, his, his reply was <sighs> saying again that the yellow card system is a, just, it's just a self-reporting system and not facts. So the tens, and the tens of thousands of scientists, doctors and nurses are all lying. They're all conspiracy theorists, according to this stupid asshole. Can someone please enlighten me here and tell us why scientific debate isn't being allowed at all on anything COVID? According to the BBC, we have to take the word of scientists and advisors, most of which is such a massive conflict of interest in the whole situation. For example, Valance, who advised the dickhead Boris Johnson from day one has £600,000 worth of shares in GSK, the vaccine-making big pharma company supplying the Sanofi GSK adjuvanted recombinant COVID-19 vaccine. If that's not a conflict of interest, I don't know what is. Uh, so a big thank you to Anna Breeze of Breeze Media. Go and check her out for posting that interview. I would never have come across it as I turned off the pedo-hiding BBC years ago. Now, for all of you out there that are feeling like you're on your own and you can't get through to people, uh, let, me, let me try and help. This piece was written by 
Julius Ruchel. I've not a clue what it is, uh, who he is, but I found it absolutely brilliant. This one's titled The Emperor Has No Clothes, and it's about finding the courage to break the spell. So here goes. To all the silent good people watching our society tear itself in two. This is for you. Those in charge have long since signalled that they have no intention of returning to a liberal democracy founded on recognition of inalienable individual rights and freedoms. If data were the ingredient required to confront them, they would have folded long ago. They are impervious to data. This isn't about a virus. Well, we all know that. This is a psychological game, and it's all about power and control. In this brave new world, the regime which uh, will grant temporary conditional privileges tied to virus seasonality, good behaviour, or whatever other conditions they choose to set to achieve the social engineering agenda of the day. Once they opened Pandora's box to a society based on conditional rights, there is no limit to where their imaginations will take them. So, how do we stop this neo-feudal reimagining of society? How do we play chicken with a regime that appears to hold all the cards? At this point, it's clear that regaining our freedom depends entirely on the government losing the support of the crowd. To use the words from Hans Christian Andersen's timeless folktale from 1837, we need to shake our frightened fellow citizens out of their stupor by getting them to see that the emperor has no clothes. But more importantly, we need everyone who sees it to be willing to say it out loud. That was brilliant. That was, that's bang on. So I'm going to now dissect the psychology of dissent. Hopefully winning the hearts and minds of the people that are still asleep to all of this. So how to open the mind to doubts. I believe data plays an important role in changing hearts and minds, but only as a secondary ingredient. We are fighting a psychological battle, not an intellectual one. Data will help those who start to ask questions, but first they need to ask their first question. First, there needs to be a seed of doubt. Data will not plant that seed of doubt. Data does not have the power to break the spell. If you get in my drift so far. A frightened mind seeks certainty because certainty feels safe. We all know that. We all feel safe in, the, in that little bit of certainty. Which is why a frightened mind rejects anything that undermines the feeling of certainty. 
Now, uncertainty can be extremely scary to a lot of people. This desire for certainty makes people savagely hostile to conflicting data and capable of entertaining the wildest of logical fallacies. The facts simply do not matter to their feelings. People only begin to seek out data after the spell begins to break. Something else must first plant that initial seed of doubt. Uncertainty is uncomfortable, so if it cannot be pushed aside, then and only then will the mind enlist rational thought processes to work through the dilemma in order to regain a sense of certainty. Are you with me so far? I know it, there's a lot of certainties about and uncertainties. Right, now that is the psychological game we need to play. We need to create the sense of uncertainty that forces our frightened peers to enlist their rational minds. Once doubt sets in, the data will take them the rest of the way. Thus, the willingness to look at data is merely the second step along each individual person's journey to recognising that the emperor has no clothes in the, in the piece written above, or what, well, what I've just said. Much of our effort in this battle for our freedom has been focused on that second step. More data. But the first step along that path requires planting the initial seed of doubt. So how do you seed doubt without data? Now, the simple reality is that this first step is fought with symbolism, with herd psychology, and with the courage to bear the cost of speaking out when others will not. Navigating this first step is the focus of this uh, because, well, that is where, you know, that is where we're all falling short. So we need to plant a seed of doubt to help people take that first step. It's not what you say that matters so much as being seen to say it out loud, if you know what I mean, in public, in a way that allows you to be identified and counted and being willing to face the music when the world can see what you really think and saying it over and over again relentlessly until enough voices join in until the counter chorus can no longer be dismissed as fringe fringe science or fringe psychology whatever doubt is created by breaking the illusion of consensus this first seed of doubt happens on a deeply subconscious emotional level there are three different ways it can happen now, many only start to ask questions after getting their first COVID vaccination. Hopefully, it won't be too late for them. But as they begin to feel safe, they regain their ability to, to think again, which gives rise to questions and doubts. I mean, I've seen endless people, uh, videos on Telegram of people that have had the jab. The seed of doubt has been planted and they're asking themselves, why have I got this jab? And then they actually look into 
look into it themselves and do their own research and they soon regret having that jab. It's why the regime is creating a hyperventilating drumbeat about variants and stoking hysteria about the unvaccinated. The regime is trying to keep the vaccinated in fear in order to prevent them from regaining their ability to see clearly and think independently. Doubt can also be created when someone's personal experience doesn't match the propaganda that they've been fed. The regime is fighting that part of the battle for us. When someone is injured by a vaccine or sees a loved one trapped in isolation in a care home or, or whatever, or is it at risk of losing their business to lockdowns? Doubt in the narrative begins to creep in. There is only so much pain that anyone can bear before their certainty in the regime begins to waver. And doubt can be created simply by depriving someone of the illusion of consensus. Remember the Hans Christian Andersen's tale that I spoke about earlier, that little statement. It was a child that broke the illusion because it was unafraid to say out loud that the emperor's fine gown didn't exist, that he was wearing nothing at all. He was naked. Now, data didn't break the illusion. All it took was a pointed finger, a well-timed laugh and the courage to speak out. Doubt creates conflicting emotions that can only be resolved by enlisting the rational mind. Doubt leads the mind to seek out data, not the other way around. The regime is doing everything they can to prevent the fearful from thinking. This is a psychological war. <sighs> so let's have a glimpse of two futures two different kinds of futures that might you know the outcome might be the outcome of this psychological war will determine what kind of world your children and your grandchildren will live in so before i dig a little deeper into the psychology of how we're going to win this war how i think we'll win this war anyway it's worth uh you know, reminding ourselves of what's at stake here because it's easy to lose sight of the big picture when we're so focused on debunking government lies and fighting vaccine passports and masks and social distancing restrictions and all that. So the courage to make a difference in this psychological war comes from understanding the long game that is being played out here. They don't play a short game, this, these governments... These corrupt governments, they play the long game. So we've got to play the long game as well. So this is a war about the role of governments. It is about your freedom to think, to speak, to ask questions, which is not being allowed, and about whether your individual autonomy is downgraded to a conditional privilege or whether it remains a right it is a war about whether you are to remain a citizen or become a subject. It is about who owns you, you or the state.
or the government, whoever we want to call it. Um, just a quick one. Um, my apologies if this podcast's um, the quality of the sound isn't quite there. I didn't bring my laptop on holiday with me down to Cornwall, so I'm I'm recording this one on my phone. I was going to give it a rest for a week, but I can't seem to have a week off from this battle that's happening. So I'm just carrying on. Everyone else has gone down to the little harbour and I'm stuck in the house at the top of the hill, all on my own with my dog snoring next to me, just to do this podcast. So the question at the forefront of this psychological battle accelerated by the lens of covid is about whether we will remain a society based on legal equality and inalienable rights or whether in the name of safety equity and political fucking correctness will allow ourselves to be reduced to a society of masters and servants as was the norm throughout much of human history with the masters granting or withdrawing conditional privileges to pursue whatever they perceive as the greater good, whatever they perceive. Herdsmen and their cattle, shepherds and their flock, those who wear the imperial mantle of responsibility for the well-being of the herd versus those with the obligation to endure, muzzled and under a yoke for the greater good. Citizens, you've got a voice. Citizens have a voice in the rules, you know, in the rules that they live by and a responsibility to take care of themselves. Cattle get fed, sheltered, herded, vaccinated, prodded, uh, you know, prodded onto cattle trucks, milked and harvested. For some, freedom from responsibility has a certain appeal but it is anything but liberty it's anything but freedom real freedom is not a license to do what you want to others or to take what you need from others real freedom is a restraint that prevents others from doing things to you and prevents others from taking what they need from you and vice versa Freedom draws a line between people that no one has a right to cross. That is the freedom that is being lost. In a free and open society, freedom is the greater good. So in a sense, what is playing out on a grand scale here is a global referendum on freedom. The consequences of this referendum will be with us long after the virus fades away. In this referendum, you don't get to cast your votes at the polls. Your choice to speak out or stay silent in the face of the naked emperor is your vote. Both opinions come with terrible risks. The consequences of being bulldozed by the regime if you speak out versus the servile future that is waiting for you if you don't. There is no option to simply sit on the sidelines of this referendum. Silence is a choice. Those who choose silence 
are in effect signalling that their freedom is worth less to them than the discomfort of speaking out and facing the consequences. They are in effect legitimising the regime's use of intimidation by showing that it works. Yet many will nonetheless opt for the perceived safety of the sidelines out of fear or repercussion. That fear is justified and understandable. We've all felt that fear. The penalties are very real in this game, but you are either swept along by the stampede or you dig your heels in. Um... I haven't. My heels are still planted firmly in the ground, man. I'm telling you, those of uh, those are your two choices, basically: freedom on the one side, servitude on the other. You choose. I know what you, I know. What I'm choosing. I'm choosing freedom. Your disapproval about all that is going on around. It's going on around you. It's it's irrelevant unless you say out loud and take a stand. Visibility. Saying it on social media from behind your anonymous avatar achieves nothing. Letters, petitions and press releases made by associations do not speak to the subconscious minds of our fight, uh, frightened peers. They will not look at them. These avenues are all in the same realm as the data. They will be dismissed until after the spell begins to break. You have to plant that initial seed, remember. To have a psychological impact, you have a voice. Uh, you have to voice your dissent in person, out there in the real world, where the risk of repercussions is real. It's going to be hard for everyone, myself included. I'm shitting myself about all this. I don't know what the future is, but I tell you what. It's just my lad's future I'm fighting for. I'm getting all a bit emotional here, actually. I'll carry on. Where you can make eye contact while you are... Uh, uh, I think I'm lost here. Yeah, the repercussions are real. Where you can make eye contact while you are doing it. At work, at home, at school, church, down the gym... At the shopping centre or out in the streets, you have to say it to where those who, you know, those who disagree with you can see you saying it. You have to be that little boy who stood in the, in front of the crowd and pointed to the emperor's lack of clothes. Hey, emperor, you're naked. And then everyone else realised, didn't they? Everyone else looked at it and said, hang on a minute, he is fucking naked. Fucking dirty fucker. <laughs> that is how democracy works in its rawest form when the institutions of liberal democracy cease to function words are not violence words are 100% peaceful no matter how much you disagree how much you disagree with them or how much you are offended by them but censorship in any form is a form of implied violence because without your voice, you are held hostage by the, your censor and you have no peaceful means of self-defence. 
I'm just getting a bit of a dry mouth here, so I'm going to have a little sip of my coffee I've just made. <sighs> Excuse me. Now, a liberal democracy cannot function in an atmosphere of censorship. It just cannot. Can't. It can't. Brute force begins with censorship. Allowing yourself or others to be silenced ushers in a world where the only means of self-defence is through brute force. That is what is currently being normalised under the guise of saving the world from this fucking bullshit COVID. The 99.7% survival rate. So in other words, it's just the fucking flu. When speech is silenced, whether through cancel culture mobbing, big tech censorship. Oh, so just listen to my last podcast about big tech censorship or outright legal attacks like those currently being attempted by the Canadian government, i.e. the Bill C-10 and the Bill C-36, which raises the cost of self-defence beyond the threshold that most people are willing or even capable of bearing. Now, history shows that once the, the norms of a liberal democracy give way to brute force politics, even if the regime doesn't, uh, does change hands, those that emerge on top are themselves rarely champions of freedom and tolerance. The only way to prevent brute force politics from becoming normalised is if the good people refuse to shut up. And we are the good people, I believe. Not that the the people asleep are bad people, they're just asleep still. So it's 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 our responsibility to start waking these people up, start planting that little seed of doubt in their minds so they can look at it all themselves, you know. So this is not just a war against bad people with bad ideas. It is equally a war to defend the only system ever invented that gives citizens autonomy over their own bodies, minds and voices, along with the mechanism, um, the mechanism to defend that autonomy through peaceful means. Understand me so far. I hope you're staying with me. Yeah. It, all, it is all a bit psychological. But if you take a step back and look at the big picture, it, it is all down to psychology. Uh, it's a little look at America. This is why the founding fathers in America made freedom of speech the very first right, the very first one, when they drafted the US Bill of Rights. Peaceful resolution of conflict in a civil society depends on everyone having absolute freedom of speech. Now, in England, you look at the Magna Carta. In America, it's their Bill of Rights, isn't it? In a... In a civil society, all other rights flow from this right. Without freedom of speech, all that remains as a tool to defend yourself is brute force. Our voices are our last defence as the institutions of liberal democracy fall away. Use your voices while you still can, because if freedom of speech is lost we will be ushered into a world governed by brute force and the tyranny will be it will be real no matter which side gains control over the levels of uh, the the levers of power a right comes with the responsibility to defend that right when your rights or anyone else's rights are under attack 
rights derive their legitimacy only through the willingness of citizens to defend them for themselves or for each other. If the willingness to speak your mind in public is missing, then you've got no rights. So I hope that's helped you all in the psychology of this war. And I urge you all not to see the asleep as bad people. See them as a challenge for yourself. Don't just throw data or facts at them. They won't be swayed. Instead, plant a seed of doubt. And that seed, you know, just watch it grow until them themselves start looking at things a little deeper. And with all the data and facts out there for them to see for themselves, maybe they will realise what side of history they need to be on. I send you all my greatest wishes of love, luck and freedom. And remember, be nice to your fellow man. As your fellow man is under a spell, that spell in the world of psychology is called cognitive dissonance. And the only way to recover these people, these lost souls, is by planting that seed of doubt and letting their own minds take them the rest of the way. So, until next time, toodaloo.